who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Singularity by Bill DeSmet. Copyright 2004 by William H. DeSmet. All rights reserved. Part 2. Rusalka. July 30th, August 3rd. And all I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer her by. John Maysfield, Sea Fever. Chapter 14. Hull Number 47. At 133 meters from stem to stern, Rusalka was more boat than any berthing facility on the Potomac could handle. Instead, she was anchored off GEI's private pier in Baltimore, a good hour and a half drive up from D.C. through Friday morning rush hour traffic. Or not. Knox looked down on the vehicular snarl radiating outward from the construction site at the Beltway I-270 merge, and gave thanks for friends in high places several hundred feet high. He caught Sasha's eye through the door separating the cabin of the Grecian Enterprise's helicopter from its cockpit. Sasha swiveled in the co-pilot's chair and grinned down at the bumper-to-bumper traffic. He mimed a whew of relief. Better them than us. In the seat to Knox's right, Mariana was sipping at a latte and idly tracing the veins in his hand with her index finger. The tiny tingle made him shiver. Pretending to be a couple with Mariana felt so natural that Knox found himself wishing they'd gone for something a little hotter than the prim and proper lawyers-in-love look for their cover story. Too late to switch now. Deferred gratification was the order of the day as they wended their way north to Baltimore on the morning after the gala. Twenty minutes' flight time brought them over the rooftops and esplanades of the city's renovated harbor district. The waterfront was directly ahead now, all but empty at this hour, too early for the tourists, too late for the bay fishermen. The chopper angled out over the water. Only then did they see her. Knox was prepared for large. Rusalka was enormous, out of scale, 
133 meters was just another number, another insubstantial abstraction. Rusalka made the abstract concrete. She was one and a half times the length of a football field. Her gleaming white shape dwarfed the lesser yachts riding at anchor in the inner harbor and transformed the shops and restaurants of the nearby marina into mere model railroad accessories. She looked for all the world like a cabin cruiser that had somehow found its way into a backyard swimming pool. Sasha tapped the pilot's shoulder and made a circle in the air. The pilot obliged by coming in low and orbiting the gargantuan craft. Close up, Rusalka was an improbable multi-layered wedding cake. Her streamlined superstructure rose five decks high to a flying bridge ninety feet above the waterline. Half the top deck was given over to silvered skylight. Expanses of the same one-way glass fronted the bridge and what looked like an observation lounge one deck below it. The vessel just went on and on. Yet there was grace in the gigantism, too. The whole ensemble was sculpted into such sleek, backswept lines as to give Rusalka the look of cutting through the waves even as she rode at anchor. Seventy-five crew, Sasha shouted to Knox over the roar of their descent, and ninety staff, counting administration and research. Some of that headcount was coming into view as the copter circled. At white linen tables scattered across the aft deck below them, a couple dozen senior management types and attendant one-rung downers were breakfasting al fresco, preparing for another day of directing the fortunes of Grecian enterprises from this its self-contained floating headquarters. One last lingering look, then they touched down on a helipad just forward of the superstructure. Mariana and Knox followed Sasha across a sun-washed arrival deck and into the cool and comparative dark of a vestibule hung with medieval tapestries and lit here and there with the glowing golds and rich browns of miniature orthodox icons. A heavy glass portal hissed shut behind them, sealing them all inside. Point of no return. Passports, please. Sasha held out his hand. Must get you checked in. He walked the documents over to a guard stationed inside the entranceway. Knox turned his head for a last wistful glance at the helicopter, their sole remaining link with dry land. It was gone. Could it have lifted off again once they disembarked? No. They would have heard the racket, even through those inch-thick tempered glass doors. Where? Then he saw where. It was disappearing below decks. The helipad they'd landed on must ride on an elevator platform. The whole structure, with the copter still sitting on it, was descending into the hold below, allowing the two halves of a second, previously retracted deck to slide out and close over it. Wow! Coming, John? Sasha had finished his transaction with the guard. He saw what Knox was staring at and grinned. Best not to leave our chopper sitting out in the sun all day. Sasha ushered his guests across an expanse of black marble flooring inlaid with the Grecian Enterprises logo. The Ouroboros fashioned of laser-cut jade this time, girdling a globe of lapis lazuli oceans and Batakino continents, and into an elevator at the rear of the welcome lobby. 
The lift compartment's walls, ceiling, and floor were a medley of chrome and backlit Tiffany glass, the overall effect resembling a ride inside an Art Deco jukebox. A ride so smooth that Knox was still waiting for them to start moving when muted chimes announced their arrival at accommodations deck one flight up. As to accommodations, Sasha knew his friend's reticence in affairs of the heart well enough not to bother inquiring as to the precise developmental stage of the Knox-Mariana relationship. Instead, he had elected to cover all bases. He showed his guests to two adjoining staterooms with a connecting door. Their luggage having arrived ahead of them, Knox and Mariana were left to settle in. Sasha's special guided tour of Rusalka wouldn't begin for another twenty minutes. Knox checked out his new digs. Outsized portholes, illuminated shoji screens taking up the top half of the inboard wall, and that king-sized platform bed sure looked inviting. He was tempted to slide under the matte gold comforter and make up for the sleep he'd lost to the late-night briefing at Crom Central. Rather than give in, he walked over to where his suitcase rested on a luggage stand at the foot of the bed. Mariana had told Knox not to bother packing. Crom would put something together for him. Knox had gone along, on the general principle that the client is always right, especially when they're volunteering to do the work. What that left him with, though, was a suitcase full of unfamiliar paraphernalia. Thank God he'd thought to bring his own toothbrush. Mariana, what's this all about? He called through the open connecting door. She came to the doorway and looked. Oh, that. Then she motioned him out of the room and down a corridor to the outside. With the crew preparing for departure and most of the GEI headquarters staff already at their desks, they had the deck nearly to themselves. It's not safe to talk in there till I've deployed countermeasures, Mariana said sotto voce. She leaned against the rail. Morning breezes toyed with her hair. Now, you were saying? What am I doing with a wetsuit in my valise? That's just standard emergency kit for any blue water operation. Aristos isn't seriously expecting Rusalka to go under, is he? John, the thing about covert operations is nine-tenths is just contingency planning. Don't let it get to you. Okay, sure. SOP if you say so. Did she actually believe this no-big-deal bullshit she was feeding him? That was scary. Even so... What if they'd gone through our luggage and asked what we were doing with all that stuff? We'd have said it was for scuba diving when we call in at the Azores. But they wouldn't ask, John. That's what makes you such perfect cover for this mission. Everyone's convinced we're just a systems analyst and his girlfriend. What do you mean, just a systems analyst? Rusalka's observation lounge sparkled with chromed surfaces and Susan Puleo metallic fabrics. It reminded Knox of something. The vast, technoesque space looked almost like... Yes, there in the middle of the scalloped ceiling hung the mirrored sphere emblematic of an upscale discotheque. It lacked only the strains of Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive blaring from the B&W sound system to complete the ambiance. The post-Soviet Russians were making up for lost time, but to date they'd only gotten as far as the seventies. Beyond the mirror ball, 
The lounge was fronted by a wall of tinted glass, giving out on a panorama of Baltimore Harbor. Between inpouring and reflected dazzle, it took Knox a moment to realize there was someone else in the room with them, seated on one of the L-shaped settees. Mariana, John, Sasha said, I have the pleasure to introduce Ms. Naomi Kotler, senior editor for Megacraft International magazine, who joins us on our tour today. Naomi, pleased to meet Mariana Peterson and Jonathan Knox, friends sailing to Europe with us. Are you long for the ride too, Miss Cutler? Knox asked the tall, athletic-looking brunette who'd risen to shake hands with them. Naomi, please. No, just passing through. Not that I don't envy you the voyage. Perhaps you know of Megacraft, John, Mariana. One of only two magazines in the world devoted exclusively to mega-yachts. Naomi is here researching a possible article. They took seats, then waited while a white-liveried steward filled coffee and juice orders from an espresso machine cum minibar on wheels. Spasiba, Knox thanked the steward for his espresso doppio, then turned to Naomi. An article? Is Rusalka news, then? She thought a moment before replying. Could be. This is just a preliminary walkthrough. If I like what I see, I'll come back with a photo crew next month and give her the full treatment. You mean all this? Mariana's gesture took in the lounge and beyond. Might not measure up to your editorial standards? Not that exactly, Naomi said. It's just we need to be convinced this boat has, well, lived down her past. Naomi, Sasha began. Come on, Sasha. You know it's true. Have you been holding out on us, Sasha? Knox asked, adding in his most melodramatic, what evil lurks in the hearts of men baritone. Could this big, bright boat of yours be harboring some deep, dark secret? He'd meant it as a joke, so it was kind of surprising how flustered Sasha got. What? No, no, John. Nothing of the sort. Naomi merely refers to certain, uh, Unfortunate episodes in Rusalka's history, prior to her acquisition by Grecian enterprises. Unfortunate? Naomi laughed. That's cute, considering how she went from princess to pariah in the space of two years. She turned to Knox and Mariana. You've got to understand, from the moment Oscar Shams laid the keel in 1987, Sharifa here was destined to be one of the crown jewels third biggest private yacht in the world, ever. Add to that the mystery surrounding her owner. What did you call her? Sharifa? asked Knox. Uh-huh. Chaika Sharifa. Queen Sharifa. That was the rumor, anyway. As far as the yard was concerned, she was just hull number 47. Those Swedes can be silent as the grave, even when the owner hasn't insisted on total anonymity. And he had. But... Megacraft had a theory as to the owner's identity. Well, the name alone was a pretty strong circumstantial, Naomi said, if you know your Middle Eastern royals. But the clincher was when the yard stopped work on her as of August 5th, 1990. Knox got it then. Not the emir of Kuwait. What a bummer, losing a boat like this and a kingdom all in the same week. Oscar Shams had suspended work the same week 
Saddam Hussein's tanks had come rumbling across the Kuwaiti border. Actually, Naomi lowered her voice, losing this boat might have helped save the kingdom. The emir needed all the in-area friends he could get at that point, and scuttling the Sharifa new building went a long way toward mending fences with the Saudi royal family. Knox furrowed his brow, but said nothing. Too big, she elaborated. At 430 feet length overall, Sharifa was large enough to rival the Abdul Aziz, King Fahd's 482-footer. Knox chuckled. No sense sticking a finger in your new best friend's eye, eh? So what then? Grecian stepped in and bought her at fire sale prices? No, wait. The timing's all wrong for that. Wrong for any kind of sale, I'd guess, with half the world's potential buyers hunkered down dodging scud missiles. Uh-huh. When all was said and done, there was only one deal on the table. A look of distaste crossed Naomi's face. Though I'd like to think the emir never would have gone for it if he hadn't needed the cash for uh, public relations. Of course, Knox snapped his fingers. The anti-Saddam PR campaign that brought Congress on board with the military option. He looked about him. This vessel was a living link in the chain of events that had led to Operation Desert Storm. What was wrong with the money? Sad story. The only taker was a U.S. junk bond king with a scheme to convert Sharifa into a floating casino. He rechristened her the Bona Fortuna and steamed her across the Baltic into Gdansk for the interior work, all done on the cheap. A real schlock job, too. Mirrors and red velvet galore. Your basic French provincial bordello effect, Knox supplied. Naomi sighed, as if taking Sharifa's fall from grace as an affront to the mega-yachting community at large. Megacraft wouldn't touch her after that. To think we'd been holding our spring 92 cover for her at one point. I must commend your, uh, journalistic diligence, Naomi, Sasha said. Is it permissible to ask how much of such speculation you will include in your final article? I look forward to talking with you about that, Sasha, she said smoothly. Anyway, the story gets better from there on out. By early 92, the deal had fallen through, and the boat was back on the block. And this time, the high bidder was none other than Arkady Grigorievich, yes? Sasha nodded. The price would have been right, Naomi went on. Grecian Enterprises might have shelled out 35 mil tops. Add another 20 for this latest refit, and it's still bargain basement, less than half what she's worth. She glanced at Sasha for confirmation again, but none was forthcoming. Anyway, after the sale, she disappeared off everybody's radar scope. All we knew was the new owner had renamed her one more time, ordered up a minimal makeover, mostly just ripping out the gaming tables and installing office sets and labware, and put her to sea in late 1993, where she pretty much stayed till the start of the new millennium. Well, Knox said, even billionaires need a hobby, and oceanography's as good as any. I suppose... Naomi gave a non-committal shrug. Be that as it may, it's only over the past three years that they've finally gotten around to doing a proper rehab. Restoring the soul of a queen, so to speak, Knox mused. Naomi Cutler looked into the middle distance, thinking, perhaps, about how that line would look emblazoned across the cover of Megacraft International magazine.
After an hour of traipsing through one gilded chamber after another, Knox was suffering from opulence overload. It was like nothing so much as a very high-end pub crawl, without even the consolation of liquid refreshments. As to that, the spirits were willing, but the schedule was taut. Rusalka was making ready to catch the morning tide, while Megacraft Lady was booked on the noon flight out of BWI to Orlando. The helicopter that ferried Naomi out to the airport would have to rendezvous with Rusalka again as the vessel passed Annapolis. The logistics were just tricky enough that they were getting tight on time, and with both Salon Deck and the Oceanographic Laboratory still to go. It is impermissible not to see the banquet hall before you leave us, Naomi, Sasha told her. It is the centerpiece of our new Rusalka. But you, John and Mariana, he turned to them, will have an opportunity to attend a dinner party there in three days. Why not save it as a surprise? I will show you our lab instead. So it was that the group split up. A few whispered words into Sasha's lapel communicator summoned up Igor Savchenko, Rusalka's lean, graying first officer. Savchenko was deputized to escort Naomi up for a look at the salon deck and then on to Arkady Grishin's offices. The owner had expressed interest in meeting the Megacraft editor and would personally see her off. Looks like this is goodbye then, Naomi said, glancing at the time. I'll have to airlift out as soon as I'm done up top. Sasha, we'll talk. I think there's a story here. Mariana, John, it's been nice meeting you. I wish you all a bon voyage. She shook each of their hands in turn. Then she was gone up the broad spiral staircase. Knox was sorry to see her go. There had been considerable entertainment value in watching Naomi keep Sasha on his toes. Why hadn't they gone with an enclosed bow design like everybody else? What's with all the bearskin rugs and pony-hide upholstery? Couldn't they at least try to be a little PC? One tough customer. If this kind of grilling was what you got with a walk-through, it's a sure bet Sasha wasn't looking forward to the impending full treatment. So, Sasha, the corporate offices are up on Salon Deck? Mariana asked on their way down to the lab. I think you'd want the guest cabins up there for the view. The problem is role, Mariana. Placing VIPs such as yourselves lower down on main deck minimizes discomfort. Role? Oh, of course. The way the ship rocks from side to side. I keep forgetting we're on a ship. Rusalka's just so huge. Sasha winced. Yacht! Or possibly boat, Mariana. Never ship. Please, ship refers only to merchant or military vessels. But ship or boat or whatever, Knox said. Is seasickness really a problem? I'd have thought a vessel like this would have God's own stabilization system. Not one system, John. Two. First, entering tank stabilization down in the hold, like on the biggest cruise ships. Conventional stabilizer fins on top of that. Except these are not so conventional. Old ones used gyroscopes. Rusalkas are next-generation track digital stabilizers from American bow thruster. Two sets. You know about this? 
Knox shook his head. State of the art. Solid state sensors embedded in the hull, constantly monitoring vessel roll and pitch, and feeding data to microprocessors that optimize fin angles in real time. Usalka feels the water she moves through. Sounds very cool. Knox loved techno toys. Sasha turned to Mariana and smiled. Between truck and entering, Rusalka guarantees you smooth sailing, Mariana. Dramamine not necessary. I'd really like to see that entering system too sometime, Knox said as they came to a halt before a watertight double door marked Oceanographic Laboratory in Russian and English. Choose big U-shaped tanks filled with seawater, John, Sasha shrugged. Pumps transfer water into the arm of the tank on side opposite to vessel's roll, and the counterweight damps movement. Nothing much to look at, and the hold is dark, dirty, hardly fit for sightseeing. Off-limits, in other words. Could they be hiding something down there? In any case, Sasha was still talking, I think you will find what we have here much more interesting. With that, he punched digits into a keypad set in the jam, and the panels slid open to reveal Rusalka's ocean sciences lab. But for its lack of windows, Knox would have been hard put to tell the lab from the salons and sky lounges they'd just left. No Bunsen burners or Bakelite surfaced workstands for GEI's researchers. Late model workstations were scattered about the vast high-ceilinged space with all the artful randomness of tables at a sidewalk cafe. The lighting was subdued throughout, save where a spot illuminated yet another Ouroboros crest, inlaid in the center of the far wall above an unmanned reception desk. Sasha followed the line of Knox's gaze. Jorgamund, the Midgard serpent, he said. In Norse legend, Odin released a snake into the sea where it could thrive. It grew so great that in time it encircled all of Midgard, the world of men, and beat its own tail. Most appropriate here, our researches also helped the ocean and its creatures to thrive. Knox frowned, trying to recall the elder Edas as filtered through the prism of Marvel Comics. Hmm... I thought Jorgamund was one of Loki's three monstrous children, and Odin hurled it into the sea to keep it from devouring the earth. Must not read too much into legends, John, Sasha said. They walked past ranks of neat and tidy lab benches. Too neat and tidy. None of the real engineers and researchers of Knox's acquaintance would have lasted a day in such an antiseptic environment. Where was the clutter of a working lab, the Slavic equivalents of empty jolt cola cans and half-eaten pizza slices? Sasha, what goes on in here? Anything? Seismometry, John. All quiet now. You should have been here six, seven years ago, before we finished our North Atlantic survey. We still keep a few seismologists on staff. There are always seaquakes and volcanic eruptions to investigate, but the focus of our work has shifted to the other three sections. Come. Sasha steered them around the reception desk 
toward one of two glass doors set in the interior wall. Through the tinted glass, Knox could see a second room, lined with more workstations, but this time sporting the bric-a-brac of lab apparatus too. Like the first lab, this one was all but uninhabited at the moment. Precious little for an oceanographer to do in port, Knox guessed, but at least it had that lived-in look. And here are pièces de résistance. Sasha pointed to the left as the party entered. They turned to see a floor-to-ceiling aquarium occupying most of the inboard wall. Behind a giant slab of acrylic, in a luminous blue the color of the sky at dusk, there floated an armada of jellyfish, glowing iridescent in the ultraviolet-tinged light. The huge jellies, a plaque identified them as sea nettles, Chrysiora fusciscans, drifted like strange amorphous extraterrestrials. The aliens were accompanied by flotillas of their smaller cousins, exquisite miniatures blazing like gems in the UV illumination. Specimen tank for marine biologists, Sasha said. A big brother of the aquarium up in our sky lounge. Knox peered into the tank's depths. It looked as if, yes, through the glowing water, he could trace the contours of another dim-lit laboratory, a mate to the one they were in. The sealed tank must go through the dividing wall into the other lab, so researchers on that side could observe its goings-on, too. Speaking of researchers, he could just make out someone in there, outlined against the light of a computer screen as he, she, rose from behind a workstation and walked up to the other side of the tank. The white-coated figure stared at the visitors for a long moment, probably having no better luck making out individual features through the layers of thick glass and twilight seawater than Knox had had. Behind him, Sasha lifted a hand to wave. A white-sleeved arm waved back from the other side, then pointed to a door on the left. Come, Sasha urged Knox and Mariana through an exit opposite the one they'd come in by. Someone you must meet. He herded them out and into yet another lab in time to see... She was just emerging from another door further down the room. Then she was running up and throwing her arms around a startled Knox. Galena. Ah, John. Skolkaliet, Skolkazim. How many years has it been? Galia, it's been a very long time indeed. Far too long. He pulled back to look at her. The years had etched character into the face he remembered but could not dull her innate vivacity. In the joy of this meeting, she fairly glowed, her green eyes alight and sparkling with barely held-back tears. Her honey-colored hair tickled his neck as she hugged him yet again. Simply no comparison with the woman whose image Mariana had shown him his first day on the assignment, that bleach-blonde ringer captured in Crom's drive-by snapshots. Knox sobered at the thought of Crom remembering there was an ulterior motive behind this happy reunion, remembering that standing right behind him was, Mariana, I'd like to have you meet Galina Mikhailovna Postelnikova, an old, old friend from Moscow. Galia, this is Mariana Peterson. Mariana's my, um, uh, companion, Mariana filled in smoothly, holding out her hand. Never mind about John. 
I can see you're not old, old. She sounded friendly enough, but there was something of the cat who ate the canary in the smile playing about those lovely lips. Very pleased. Galina took Mariana's hand in hers, oblivious to any dire consequences her unexpected appearance might bear with it. They were clear enough to Knox. Galina was the smoking gun. With her presence aboard Rusalka confirmed, Krom had Grecian dead to rights. Interdiction would swoop in, impound the vessel, and frog-march the lot of them off to jail. Knox experienced a flash of relief. He was off the hook. No need to go through with the rest of it now. They'd be back in Chantilly, closing out the GEI file by nightfall. His relief mixed with melancholy as he looked into the smiling faces of his soon-to-be-incarcerated friends. Galina's joy at seeing him seemed as unalloyed as Sasha's had last night. "'Why?' he asked Sasha mutely. "'Why did you just hand her to us on a silver platter? "'Where are the secret rooms and shootouts, "'the poison pellets and plans for world domination, "'all the melodramatics his imagination "'had been conjuring up ever since this damn assignment began? "'Why did you make it so easy for me to betray you?' "'Though it was all anticlimax now, "'they continued to go through the motions.' Playing their parts as VIP tourists, Knox and Mariana let Sasha show them around the rest of the lab, beginning with a section they'd first seen Galena in. Knox read the sign on the door. Seafloor tectonics? What were you working on in here, Galia? Was not working, John. Not as member of Rusalka's staff. Sasha lets me use workstation for email and to edit articles, and for monitoring experiments left running back in Akadem Gorodok. Otherwise, I'm just like you, passenger aboard most beautiful yacht. Great. Mariana and I could use some company while Sasha's off charting the course of Grecian enterprises. Knox suppressed a grimace as he said that. No telling where Sasha would be twenty-four hours from now, but it wasn't likely to be the commodious GEI corporate suites up on Salon Deck. Rather than risk letting his chagrin show, he turned his face away and found himself looking at the other face of the specimen tank he'd first spotted Galena through. The jellyfish swirled in the artificial currents, their carefree drifting mocking his preoccupations. Through intervening layers of water and glass and sea nettles, he could just make out the seawater chemistry apparatus in the room they'd left moments ago. Knox hung back as their little tour group walked out of the lab's forward door and down a short connecting corridor. He was getting that feeling again, the one he got when something wasn't adding up according to his subliminal calculus something about the way the space was laid out back in the lab. He glanced back over his shoulder, but the glass door was already sliding shut behind him. Looking around, he saw they were headed back to the same reception lobby they'd come in by some two and a half hours ago, and on their way back out to the helipad, where a tall, dapper figure in navy blue blazer and white linen slacks was standing with his back to them waving a farewell to the departing helicopter. Ah, Sasha said, I thought we might find him here. 
come say hello to your host. Arkady Grishin turned toward them as they approached and smiled questioningly. Icy blue eyes peered out of a tanned, genial face. Arkasha! Sasha switched to Russian. I would like to have you meet my friend, Jonathan Knox. I knew John in graduate school in Moscow. By luck, his consulting agency has posted him to an assignment in London starting next month. I have taken the opportunity to invite him and his friend, Mariana Peterson, to accompany us on the Atlantic crossing. A shadow seemed to flit across Grecian's face. Sasha didn't notice. In English, he said, Mariana, John, please permit me to introduce to you Arkady Grigorievich Grecian, CEO and Chairman of the Board of Grecian Enterprises International. Ms. Peterson, Mr. Knox, pleased to make your acquaintance. Grecian's English was quite passable, but he didn't seem comfortable speaking it. Releasing Mariana's hand, he turned to Knox and said, Moscow, yes? You speak Russian, then? Receiving a nod, he continued in that language. I would have greeted you sooner had I known you were aboard, but I confess not to have foreseen any guests at all on this summer's cruise. Grecian flashed Sasha an enigmatic look. Sasha swallowed. Only for the run to the continent, Arkasha, two weeks, three at most. Grecian turned to Knox. If you have known Sasha for so long, then you must know how impetuous he can be. In this case, I regret it is impossible. All at once, Grecian's eyes hardened. Though their surface affability never wavered, sparks of cold fury now churned in their depths. What could Knox have done to merit all the bad vibes from a man he had only now met? Short of setting him up to be clapped in irons, of course, but Grecian couldn't know that, could he? Then Knox realized that the arctic glare was aimed not at him, but over his shoulder. He turned to see what Grecian was looking at, and saw Galena just emerging on deck. The moment passed. By the time Grecian turned back to Knox, his sunny cordiality had returned, rekindled as if by an effort of will. But its warmth never reached the cold blue eyes, nor thawed that wintry stare. Well, it is settled then, Grecian said. Now that you have been reunited with Sasha and Galina Mikhailovna here, you must of course come with us. Welcome aboard. From main deck, Knox watched the weirs and jetties of Baltimore Harbor slide by, shimmering in the midday heat. The gray bulk of Fort McHenry was receding minute by minute into the haze of distance, taking the land of the free and the home of the brave along with it. What was Crom waiting for? Knox turned to his companion, looking for signs of imminent action, seeing none. Mariana stood beside him close enough to touch, not touching. Lawyers in love was good cover for impromptu working meetings. It was just that he had no idea what was left for them to be working on. Um, seems like we've accomplished about all we could have hoped for here, no? Eyeballing our wayward prole, she grinned. That part did go quick, didn't it? Kind of surprising the way Sasha just trotted her out like that. 
maybe not as surprising as you think. Meaning? Didn't you see how pissed Grecian was when we showed up with Galia? Maybe no one told Sasha he was supposed to be keeping her under wraps. Which means maybe he wasn't in on that disappearing act back in New York, either. Maybe. Marianna didn't sound as if she cared much one way or the other. So, anyway, about time to call in the cavalry, no? You're kidding, right? Uh, I don't think so. Because this is absolutely our best shot at finding out what Grecian's up to. Uh-oh. Where had he seen that kind of gung-ho attitude before? Knox was beginning to get a queasy feeling in the pit of his stomach. Mariana, don't take this the wrong way, but... But what? But this wouldn't happen to be your first field assignment, would it? I've been mission-rated going on two years now. A defensive note had crept into her voice. And nobody's got as much sweat equity in this case as me. I earned this. That's not what I asked. And I'm a good enough field agent to have saved your ass back in D.C., remember? Knox said nothing, just waited for her to settle down. She sighed. Okay, yes, it's my first real field assignment, not counting that business in New York, of course. Ah! Her being a woman had kept him from spotting it sooner. The junior exec out to make good syndrome and overcompensating for a previous screw-up to boot. What's that supposed to mean? I'm still the one Pete put in charge of this mission. I was there too, remember? Knox thought back on their post-gala meeting with the reacquisition director. Thought back on Aristos's ill-concealed grin as he'd walked them through their pre-mission briefing. The bastard hadn't even bothered to pretend this cruise hadn't been on the agenda from the get-go. But he'd also offered a possible out. Pete gave us a specific objective, as I recall, he said. Confirm Galena's on board and call in the troops, preferably before Rusalka leaves U.S. waters. Well, I'd call what we've got here mission accomplished, and we seem to be in process of leaving U.S. waters just now, in case you hadn't noticed. She turned to look aft at the noon hour traffic crossing Francis Scott Key Bridge. Galena's just the tip of this iceberg. Look, Mariana, he said, talking to her back now. You know better than anybody what Grecian's capable of. Are you ready to run the risk we won't make it back with what we already know? She turned to face him again. Given what we do know, what makes you think Grecian's just going to let us leave? How about calling in at least? You know, touching base? No way. Feel free to swim back to Baltimore and report if you want, but we break communication silence only at the discretion of the agent in charge, and the AIC is me. Guess again, Mariana. Last I looked, I wasn't part of your chain of command. I'd have thought you especially would want to stick it out, John. If your friends are really innocent, the only place you stand a chance of proving it is right here on Rusalka. He had no ready answer to that. She smiled sweetly then, her couple's mimicry routine still going full blast for the benefit of any onlookers. Besides, a transmission right now would have them at our throats a lot sooner than Crom could intervene. Our best option is to lie low and see what else we can find out. Such as? Such as what they've got Galena doing. 
some nefarious MHD research? No sign of any magnetohydrodynamics in the lab today. Somewhere else, then. But he had stopped listening. A mental Rubik's Cube spun and clicked, all six faces resolving suddenly to uniform colors. So that's why... John? Hello? Mariana was talking to him. He blinked and looked at her. You went away there for a minute, she said. Knox was opening his mouth to respond when Sasha came up and slapped him on the back. Hey, lovebirds, time for lunch. Must eat. Keep strength up. Rusalka steered for the main channel of the Patapsco and gathered speed. It was quarter past one by the time she rounded Swan Point and entered the broads of the Chesapeake proper. All through the afternoon she plied the calm, sun-flecked waters of this, the largest inland tidal body on the eastern seaboard, the drowned nether valley of the Susquehanna. The long day waned. The slow moon climbed. The last streaks of sunset faded from the sky. It was nearing midnight and moondown when they passed beneath the Chesapeake Bay Bridge at the mouth of the great estuary. On the Virginia coast, the Cape Henry light gleamed and was gone. From his vantage up on main deck, Knox watched a small motor launch pull alongside in the dark, matching speed and course with her giant sister. An access door swung open midway along Rusalka's shimmering flank, and a Jacob's ladder clattered down to the smaller craft. Oblique angle and dim blue light made it hard to be certain, but Knox could have sworn that someone, something, just a darker blot against the general darkness, really, was clambering up, hand over hand, toward the open hatchway. By the time he'd rubbed his eyes, whoever it was, was gone. Ship's bells chimed eight times. Midnight. The bay pilot, job done, descended the rope ladder to the deck of his launch, then turned to flip a salute at the bridge high above in the starlight. Dancing its assigned measure in the stately old pavane of ships putting to sea, the pilot boat arced away from the great vessel and sped back toward the lights of home. Her gleaming bulk shuddered imperceptibly. Her engines thrummed a deeper note as Rusalka, alone now under the stars, made for the open sea. Listening to Singularity by Bill DeSmet.